Hello and welcome to the inaugural Women and Children First podcast. I am your host, Dr. M, and I am going to begin by talking to Dr. Paul Smolin. He is a 11-year veteran of the podcast scene and the gracious gentleman who is going to hand me the reins of his podcast as I take my chances at seeing if I can pull this off as well as he has over the past decade of providing practical, portable pediatric information to parents and teenagers alike. As you will learn today, he is a wealth of knowledge and a great teacher. Many of the followers of his podcast have learned a tremendous amount over the years, and I hope that they are going to be equally satisfied by the information they learn as they listen to this new podcast. The thrust of the Women and Children First podcast will be entirely at looking at the responsible factors involved in a healthy life for a mother and therefore a healthy life for her child or children over time. We will dissect as much information as we can regarding the science of these topics. However, today will be a tour through all things parenting pearls of wisdom that Dr. Paul Smolin has gained over the years of his 11-year podcasting career and just general quality information that he shares with his parents on a day-to-day basis and has shared for many, many decades. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not to be used as a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat any health issue. Thank you. Without any further time wasted, here is my interview with Dr. Paul Smolin. Paul, welcome today, and I would love for you to give us a little background on who you are so that the other half of the crew that's going to be listening gets to know who you are. Oh, well, thanks, Chris, and I'm, I am very excited for you to take over this podcast and keep it keep the momentum moving and uh, educate families uh, with good information that's been vetted, vetted and uh, is reliable. This is, should be a place where people can come and get really good information and not worry about being sold things and, you know, an agenda. And I think so, you showed that over the years and I'm going to try my best to keep that style up because I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Good. So who am I? Um, well, I grew up in New Jersey. Actually, my pa- parents were Southerners. So half of my childhood was in Atlanta, and then we, I moved to New Jersey. But I'm probably a little more northerner than southerner. Uh, but when I went, decided to go to college, I came back down south because I really liked the south. So I went to Duke, and I was fortunate in that I could hit a tennis ball very well. I could, my eye-hand coordination was very good. So that got me in there, got me, opens a few doors for me. And... Um, uh, 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 I moved on from there and we ended up going to Rutgers Medical School, which is now the Robert Wood Johnson School of Medicine. It was a new school in those days, so my, it wasn't quite the ivory tower kind of approach to medicine that, that things are today. It was a good medical school. I think I got solid education. 
And then it was time to decide, well, what am I going to do with my life? And um, like a lot of people, the, it was role models that directed me. So I, I did a rotation in pediatrics uh, uh, in a general hospital in a very poor town in New Jersey. And there was this head of pediatrics who was, his name was Paul Winokur. God rest his soul. He's not alive anymore. But he was such a cool guy. He was your traditional pediatrician, bow tie, um, kind, soft-spoken, but knew everything. We walk up and down the halls, make rounds, and he seemed to be like an encyclopedia of information. And I, I decided after meeting Dr. Winokur, that's who I want to be because Going into that rotation, I wanted to be, be family practice. Uh, and I decided that the range of pediatric diseases was way more interesting than adult disease. Um, and generally, it was a lot more acute disease. You could really, you know, step in there, pull somebody back from the deep, and they were whole as opposed to what you did in internal medicine, which was, you know, try to slow the descent, you know, that I found that I, I enjoyed talking to old people and, but I just didn't, it wasn't as satisfying. So yeah. uh, Dr. Winokur directed me and I ended up at Bowman Gray, which is now the Wake Forest School of Medicine. And I spent three years there and then I was their first chief resident, which I was honored to, to do. And, uh, and, my wife is an attorney, so we had to find two professional jobs in the same town, and Charlotte seemed to be the place in North Carolina where that was going to happen. So we ended up in Charlotte, and I did general pediatrics for uh, 35 years, um, and it was a very exciting career, I must say. Um, so that's sort of, in, in a nutshell, who I am. So uh, I'll tell you this. I knew of you years ago through a mutual friend, Dr. Sheila Kilburn. Yeah. And Sheila and I had met uh, way back in the mid 2000s when I was doing my fellowship in Arizona. And she spoke so highly of you. So I was thinking before I did this podcast that my children go to a school where they do something called a standing O and the standing parentheses O. And the standing O is a standing ovation where they have all the kids in the classroom give one word or a group of words about the person that they want them to know what they think of them. So I sort of in the past few months have gone around asking people who know you what they think of you. Now I didn't ask your family because they give specific answers to you, <laughs> but I asked people, colleagues, including Sheila Kilbane and others, and you, you were described this way, and I thought it was pretty awesome. First of all, the number one word that kept coming up was kind. You had the K-I-N-D moniker. You are a kind soul, and that to me says everything came after that was giving, then folks said thoughtful, then folks said dedicated, and then other folks said, we just love him. So Paul, I could tell you this, you have been around Charlotte for a long time, and you have left a mark on Charlotte, as you have in the podcasting world. And to me, that is what I want my people to know of you as they go back and listen to things that you've done in the past and as you do in the future as we move forward. But your standing O is pretty awesome, and I'm really excited to grab the baton from you. So on that note, I'm going to push you into a question. You gave 11 years to the sport of podcasting, and I call it a sport because to some extent it is a sport of the mind. You burn a lot of energy trying to come up with ideas to talk about that are salient, that are understandable to the parents. and you gave a ton of information away for free 
for everybody to learn. And that is a gift that is beautiful. What did, what, what did podcasting make you feel? How did it really help invigorate you during your career? Well, one of the uh, most frustrating things about practicing general pediatrics in the era that I came through, where you were the hospitalist, you were the ER doctor, you were the neonatologist, you were the delivery room person, you were, you were everything. I mean, there was nothing. This was a pretty sophisticated community with a residency program, et cetera, with fairly high quality medicine being provided. And yet you were the center of the vortex and it all came down to you. Uh, well, that's great, except it left absolutely no time at the end of the day when all these interesting questions would pop up. You know, what about this disease? What about that? Do I, what do I know about that? I was so exhausted by the end of the day that and I had no time to go learn. So I sort of became sort of stagnant. I mean, I went to Grand Rounds. I did all the, you know, jumping the, through the hoops things. But yet, you, you know, when it gets down to specific questions, I had no energy to do that. Well, then, you know, my nephew, you know, uh, Seth, he's, I call him the rocket man barrister. He was, he worked for NASA for 15 years, keeping the space shuttle uh shuttles and uh the space station in in the proper orbits he kept saying you're good at explaining things uncle paul you need to you know, start a podcast this is the this is the future this is when you know podcasting just it was in its infancy and i kept saying oh yeah seth i you know public speaking was not my thing and writing was not my thing but but then i had to thinking well you know this would give me a chance to do a, a number of things it would get me you know, the, the handouts in the office, you know, people throw those right in the trash can. They're not reading those things when they leave. That's a terrible way to communicate. And you only hit, get really about six or seven minutes of actual communication time in an office visit because uh, you've got so many other things you got to get, get done. Maybe I could start a podcast where I could say, you know, I've already recorded this. This is a really good question. Why don't we talk about, you know, uh, how to potty train a three-year-old uh, who refuses to be potty trained and I, I could take my time record it in a way that is well communicated and I could just say go listen to this and if you have questions then we'll get back together so that was the original idea portable practical pediatrics so it was really selfish I wanted to learn some stuff and I also wanted to make things better for patients and change the paradigm of an office visit it, which it, I think I did. Yeah, I think you did a great job. I tell you, it's pretty funny how we all fall into these things randomly. You and I are both on the same page. I never wanted to write, nor I, I, I was never a big fan of reading, never a big fan of public speaking in the beginning. And I remember being in residency at UVA. And at the time I'd met my wife and between doing all the things you talked about, newborn nursery, NICU, all that time, and then spending time with my then girlfriend, I had no time to read or do anything. And I remember taking the first pediatric practice boards and they crushed me. And I remember getting called into the principal's office and the head, of, head doc, <laughs> the head doc was like, Hey, uh, Hey, Dr. Magrita, do you read it all? And I said, uh, uh, well, Dr. Kessler, I, yeah, I do. And he goes, well, you better read a lot more because you're not graduating if you don't. That was the wake up call of the century that no matter what's going on, you still had to do the extra work. But, you know, it's sort of funny. And then as time went on in, in practice, I had the same feeling. You know, you're sitting there in this 25, 10, 15-minute visit, and there's no time to teach anything. So that's when I started the newsletter. 
And I, I agree with you. That's the exact reason. So, you know, clearly this made you feel very happy about dispensing information. You know, is there anything, you know, you want to share about that part of it? Like the, the take home feeling about, you know, is it the, the desire to give all that information was really to, to, to let people know they have the information or was it really that selfish part too, where you're like, well, now I feel good about the visit during the day too, or is it all of it? Well, it's probably all of it, but you know, one of the things I did was, uh, yeah, I could go into medical literature and pull out the latest and greatest stuff, you know, and I tried to do a lot of that, bring people to the sort of the cutting edge of what was new, uh, you know, in, in medicine. But I also spent a good bit of time reading books that parents were reading. This was an aspect of it, of my practice that, uh, or of the podcast that really opened my eyes and interviewing other people. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And when you start (laughs) interviewing people, you start, they start opening your eyes to all sorts of things. So I think I did about 30 book reviews, which was probably the most valuable thing I did as part of this podcast. I went out there, parents would ask me all the time, have you read such and such book? And I would always sheepishly roll my eyes and say, "Mm, no, when do I have time? I worked 80 hours a week. I was being yanked in every direction. People were making unreasonable expectations of me constantly. I used to joke, oh, just add that to my list of unreasonable expectations that I know everything, (laughs) do everything, perceive everything, write everything down, you know, look into the future, you know, it was ridiculous, you know, and doing it at three in the morning every night for for your for your whole adult life, and right. it wasn't going to affect me. Right. So anyway, uh, I would uh, I started doing these reading books that parents were reading, and it was great. I mean, I started to learn a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, it's probably some of the most valuable experiences that I had as a pediatrician were reading uh, things like the read aloud handbook by uh, Jim Trelease. You know, it was written back in the 70s. The guy wasn't a doctor. He was a journalist, but he went through the medical. There was some literature at the time talking about how early reading, reading to kids fundamentally changed them and all through childhood. And he had, it was a great book. I highly recommend that people look at it, even though it was, he wrote it, I think, about the time I finished medical school. Uh, it's, it's as relevant or more relevant today than it's ever been. Um, uh, Frank Oski, I don't know if you know, you remember that name? Don't drink drink your milk. Don't drink your milk. I mean, this, this was radical stuff. I'm, I'm always listening to what the Academy of Pediatrics is talking about. The big issue was, is it, is it skim milk? Is it, is it 1%? Is it whole milk? You know, and, and here's this guy's the chairman of pediatrics at Johns Hopkins who says the heck with that stuff. And, you know, Spock said the same thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, the most famous pediatrician ever that you know, we shouldn't be drinking this stuff and we shouldn't be yeah. recommending it for kids. Yeah. And, you know, those are the kind of experiences that I had podcasting that fundamentally changed me uh, as far as uh, the way I was thinking. It broadened me in ways that most pediatricians are never going to get broad unless they take the time to do this and nobody's going to pay you to do that. Yeah. And I look at it from the other side of it. So if you take the listener side, right? So I love Peter Atia. I think he is probably the preeminent podcaster out there right now. And the, one of the greatest reasons I love it is because Peter takes the most difficult conversations, topics, science, 
and distills it down to a two-hour podcast that I can therefore take. And instead of reading 3,000 pages of literature, I can dissect his two hours over a few days and really come away understanding. And I think you've done that for all these parents that don't want to read all these books, but they can come and sit and listen to a 30, 60 minute, you know, Doc Smo podcast and walk away going, okay, I get it. He said X, he read the book, he's the authority, he knows what's going on, bang, end of story. And that's the beauty of podcasting. And, and again, your 11 years has been a testimony to that for all of these charlatine parents, plus the ones all over the country who listen to you. So on that note, you know, when you think about all of the topics, you know, over the better part of the last 11 years, you know, or even let's, before we even go there, let's start with 35 years of practice. How has medicine changed that you would want to say, okay, this is something that's been pretty incredible in the way I saw it to what I'm seeing now. Well, as I said before, you know, uh, the old paradigm of physicians was everything was unreasonable. We were supposed to know everything. Yeah perceive everything, do everything, right. be everything to everybody. And that's, that's ridiculous that people wanted to believe that. Yeah. And I think they, because they want to believe that somebody has all that kind of power. Right. You know, it's magical thinking really when it comes down to it. Yeah. Uh, it's like a, a way a four-year-old would think, yeah. but uh, and not to belittle people. But I mean, I, I feel that way when I go to the doctor, I wanted to make, I want to believe that they really know everything and that you know, they're totally focused on me and, you know, you know what general pediatrics is like. You know, your mind is in three different rooms at the same time. Yeah. You know, you got people in the hospital. You got, you know, all the just daily living stuff. It's just unreasonable. Yeah. So um, I think we're getting a more realistic view of what physicians should be and are. Yeah. I think that's one big, you know, direction that medicine's taking. I'd, I'd love to see teams i'd like to go to the doctor and have a team of people worried about me like you know my nutrition my mental health my you know physical well-being my preventive stuff that would be you know more useful you know we're very expensive we yeah. are very expensive people to have in a room right and uh i'm not sure we make the best use of that kind of time um the way in the traditional model, I think we should be supervising other people who are gathering information. And you, know, when you have five eyes, sets of eyes, uh, looking at something rather than one set of eyes, uh, especially now that the one set of eyes is doing mostly recording what, what you're writing, what, what's happening. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, you know. I feel completely the same. And I'll tell you, um, Ed Barons, who's a, a rheumatology immunologist up in CHOP, they've started a clinic up there called the Immune Dysregulation Clinic. And that's the exact model they're doing. They have seven subspecialists working together per case. So immunology, genetics, cardiology, uh, rheumatology, uh, uh, whoever the discipline is, renal, they're all in the same room, seeing the same kid, trying to figure out where is the immune dysregulation to come up with the best answer. That's medicine to me of the future. I agree with you. To the, the, where, the days of siloed physician care, trying to understand it all in one room, is, it, 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 one, it doesn't make sense. Two, it's not the best quality care. So I'm with you. I think we should have a nutritionist, a, a you know, a, psychologist, a psychologist, a social worker. You know, we just hired our first social worker at our clinic in, you know, 67 years. And that's a shame. You know, social mm -hmm. workers should be part of the system, but they're not paid for. It's not, you know, so that's a big, big, big disservice to the patient. But I'm with you. I think that is the future of medicine.
Well, if they want to write, if they want to perceive everything that happened in that room, if, if the lawyers are feel that strongly about it and the insurance companies feel that strongly about it, then just turn on a video camera. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, people are just going to have to give up their privacy. Yeah. And because what we're doing right now is when I, <laughs> I, I think back to the, the medical records when I first started and it was yeah. handwritten. Yeah. <laughs> there was a stamp. Uh, there actually was a little template with little check marks for the physical exam. So, so you could put an X if there was something abnormal. Right. Uh, but, you know, it was probably the whole thing was written in maybe 15 words, you know, yeah. scribbled. And, and it was very it, – it transmitted the information very well. Right. So I was spending maybe a minute recording what, what I did and what happened uh, versus – so that was like 99% of my time was communicating, listening, perceiving, uh, connecting with the patient in a, in a, this is an office setting right. and maybe 1% recording what, what had happened. Right. Now, what would you say that percentage is? Ooh, maybe. Shoot, I think I, 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 at least 50% wasted, probably yes. more. Yeah. I, well, it, it's 60% eyeball to eyeball. That's all, that's because I would record till 10 o'clock at night right. and 40%, you know, typing gibberish that nobody's ever going to read. Right. Do your partners read that stuff? I, my partner's no. never read, read it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you got yeah. into a court of law, they would read it, but. Yeah. And the subspecialists have figured this out a little bit because we receive our notes from them. They give everything up front in the first paragraph and all the rest is insurance garbage. It's yes. absolute, absolute waste of time. And th this is the part of medicine that's infuriating. But unfortunately, the, you know, the practice of medicine is so good that we still get to at least live the joy of it while we, while we get yes. frustrated by the stupidity of it. I'm with yeah. you hundred percent. Yeah. I, I've, I've read that we're the only uh, board certified, we're the only country in the world who your first encounter with a healthcare provider is a board certified physician. Yeah. That it doesn't happen that way. Most of the world. Yeah. It's you go through layers, layers and layers. Yeah. 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 You know, and ho hopefully the powers that be are starting to get the picture that the, the idiocy of this is, is, is needs, needs to change. And we need to get to a layered system where we're using the expertise where we have it at its best position. So on that note, you know, if you were to, to, to think back, you know, over 10, 10, 11 years of podcasting, you know, you are the a phenomenal dispenser of data to parents, something of value that they could take tidbits, granules of information. They walk away with saying, Hey, you know what? This is what I need to know for today. I'm, I'm a big fan of top 10 lists. David Letterman did top 10 lists every night and everyone loved them. So as, as, as Doc Smo says, what are the top 10 things that every parent should know in June of 2021 post-COVID? Well, I don't know if I exactly have 10, but you know, uh, people who follow my podcast know that I did something called the Doc Smo Pearl. Yeah. Uh, you know, pearls in medicine are, you know, the wisdom from on high, you know, we were always giving out, oh, that's a pearl, write that down. Yeah. You know, that's really important. So I, over the years, I mean, I made it 577 podcasts, right. you know, I would like sprinkle pearls in there. Yeah. So I was looking through my pearl list. So I'll read you a few pearls. I mean, yeah, it. cause it's going to tell you what I thought was most important. Right. Let's, all right. Okay. Um, it's a terrible mistake for parents to underestimate their influence on their kids or its corollary pearl wisdom kept to oneself is wisdom wasted. I mean, parents really underestimate 
their influence. I mean, you, you get a lot of blowback from kids, you know, there's a natural rejection of, of who your parents are, but they right. are pay, definitely paying attention to where you are and they, they, that anchors them. And for yeah. parents not to use that influence is I think a, a tragedy. And I used to say the same thing to myself about my influence. I mean, I was a really important person to a lot of people. Yeah. And so why not use that influence? I mean, I wasn't yeah. preaching. I was just giving them my opinion. Yeah. And I think, I think it, it was helpful. I think it's one of the reasons that I did garner some respect from pa parents because I wasn't afraid to just tell them what I thought. And inadvertently to your own kids, you're teaching them love because to be disciplined and, and giving guidance is to tell them you love them because to let them go is in full, in full respects is to not care. So that was there. And plus the same to your parents, you're offering information out of love and, and respect to them to make the best choices they can. I love that one. Yeah. All right. Number two. Parents create the reality that their children experience. Think about that. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, depending on how you set the rules up, I mean, you are creating the childhood that your parent, that your children are going to have. So that, that experience could be um, lots of outdoor time, free, a lot of free play, uh, um, good nutrition, uh, structured bedtime, blah, blah, blah. That's one way of going at it. Or it could be TV in the room, you know, electronics as late as you want. I want Johnny to be my friend. I, I want to give him everything he, 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 he yeah, that I can give him. Uh, not much structure, uh, lots of fast food, blah, blah, blah. So you create the reality that, you, that your children exist, uh, live in. Right. And parents need to understand that, that. And they need to use their parental authority to create the best reality for the kids that they can even though that's going to be very unpopular because a lot of people around their children are going to not do that. Right. And I'll flip the words on you because I think that's exactly right. Parental authority really is authoritative parenting and authoritative parenting is to truly love your kid because you're giving them the brick. I mean the, the walls of safety with all of the parameters of, of go out and explore the world. I love that. All right. right. Well, you know, that's, that's Diane Baumrind. You, you know yeah. who she was? Yeah. 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 That's, that's her term authoritative parenting. That was a, Whole chapter in my last book. Yeah, beautiful. Um, next one. Every child can be a Powerball lottery winner by being read too frequently. So this came up. I had an assistant when the when the Powerball. Remember about maybe about four years ago, it got to be like ten billion dollars, whatever yeah. it was. You know, yeah. and everybody was like talking about the Powerball, and uh, she was buying lottery tickets, and you know, and I said, I said you know, you don't really need to do that. Uh, think about how much money you spend. I, I went through the whole thing in a podcast. I think it's like $400 in tickets. The average person spends for Powerball tickets. And, um, you know, the, the chances of winning are one in 20 billion. And, uh, but there's a surefire way of making every child a Powerball winner. Take right. that $400 and buy books yep. and read to them, yep. period. That, that's a guarantee that they're going to be successful yeah. because if you, if you look at the, you know, the numbers and number of books in a household, it directly correlates with success in life. Yep. And there may be other factors that just that correlation doesn't take into, into consideration, but really the more books you put in a household, the more success that child's going to have and the more you read to them. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. 
Number four. Number four. Um, nothing changes behavior like consequences. Or its corollary, the school of natural consequences teaches AP life. So, so many parents are not willing to let their kids fail. I mean, it's what they, all your growth comes from failure, trying and failing and learning. And, you know, that's a big one to me. I heard it once said the best boxer is the one that gets up the most. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, they've said a thousand times, you know, Edison failed a thousand times. I right. tell my kids all the time. I mean, the number one thing you can do is try and fail because eventually that trying is going to win and that victory brings you to the next place, the next place. But without trying, you never succeed. And you look at guys like Elon Musk, everyone told him he couldn't do X, Y, and Z. He's proved them all wrong. Right. Yeah. But if he never right. tries, he doesn't prove anything. So I love that. Yeah. All right. Number five. Prevention beats treatment every time so you know we're pediatricians yeah. and it's all about prevention right i mean yeah. it's you know immunization is the ultimate prevention but you know if you can get somebody to eat a good diet when they're young you've prevented a lot of problems you know prevention is just a better approach than trying to put somebody back together once they're sick yeah. and uh so yeah that's sort I of an over, overarching theme for me yeah, I look at that as the headwaters of the problem, right? So we spend far too much time as, as a medical system treating the problem where the, where the river meets the ocean. You know, we're trying to treat the symptom problem. We're trying to treat the, the downstream yeah. effect when the real problem is up at the mouth of the river. You know, let's go work on that problem, whether it's an autoimmune trigger, whether it's a, a, a sleep-induced anxiety, whether it's a, a, a dietary-induced AD attention problem. All those things could be much more adequately mitigated before the drug goes in. And then if you need the drug, the dose is half, right? So I, I think that's number one, personally. I would flip that to the moon. I love all of them, but to <laughs> me, that's the root cause of it all. I love it. Okay, well, that, these are not in no specific order, by the way. Well, I just made that number one. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a whole tab on your website. This There's Doxmo Pearl, so they, people can explore these. Perfect. Uh, let's start paying more attention to what children need rather than what they want. Only then will we get it right. Yeah. So in other words, that's, that's, that's like saying, hey, be a parent. Yeah. You, know, you have the perspective of knowing what kids, your kids need. Yep. And no matter how much blowback you're going to get from them, you need yep. to stand your, use your parental authority, not be mean, but use your parental authority, set limits, and create structure. And those are the kids that become great kids. Yeah. I, that, that, that's profound. I totally think that is a, a important lesson that every parent should hear right from the get go of the birth of the child. So that's good. I, I'm getting a, a Chris Magrita. That's profound for a Doxmo Pearl. Yes, sir. Cha-ching. I'll, I'll take that one. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next one. Maybe, maybe this is number seven. A fever is not an illness, usually just a shortcut to wellness. Yeah. I mean, people don't trust that their kids' bodies, I mean, their bodies have been practicing medicine longer than any doctor alive. That's another one yep. of my doxmo pearls. Yeah. But, but really, you know, I mean, most, that's, that's why I went into pediatrics. Most illness is self-limiting uh, and kids are really resilient. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, it was, it's great when they get, it's not great, but it's, you know, if somebody gets a, a septic illness or something you can intervene and save their life and make them whole, that's a wonderful thing. And it's yeah. great for, for me and for them. But most of the illness was just self-limiting kind of illness that actually probably made people stronger. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I agree. And I think fever is our friend and has always been our friend. And we spent too much time medicalizing and medicating fevers over the years. And you're, that, that's a beauty too. Well, it gave us something that we could do. You know, doctors yeah. are always looking for something. We're human. We want yeah. to think that we're, what we do is important, yeah. right? which most of it's not. But yeah. that, that's my opinion. You know, caring about people, yes, that's important. Yeah. But the actually what we do, we do, we do probably as much harm as we do good. Yeah. Okay, next one. Number eight. I have, a, I have a whole list of grandma podcasts. I am very big on grandma advice. Yeah. So this one is grandma didn't waste her time recommending things that weren't important. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Why would the lady, she had 10 kids. They didn't have enough food. You know, Lord knows what was going on around them. And she's haranguing people about eating their broccoli, you know, putting their shoes on, wearing a hat, washing their hands, going to bed at a regular time. I mean, taking their cod liver oil, uh, on and on it goes, you know. Why would she bother to do all that unless she was a masochist if it wasn't important? And they right. all turned out to be important. And she was right, right. Almost, on almost everything she said. Yep. And I, I look at the flip side of that one is when I tell parents, if you have one child, imagine you had six before you make a decision. Exactly. Because I used to say the same. Yeah, that's six kid. You're going to make a very different decision. And you don't need to make that decision for the one kid because you can. Right. Right. Now, what, is uh, it, what, is it, what is the book called? Because you can, you should. You know, what is can, it? Again? Can doesn't mean should. Where can do you doesn't draw mean those? should. There can it is. Can doesn't mean should. See, yeah, my father was a salesman, so yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he sold soap. So I, I, I learned how to communicate from him. And yeah. here's the last – this was actually the first one that I wrote. Okay. But, but I'm going to make it number 10. All right, perfect. And I, and I hope that people knew, know who this is. Don't let the Mario Brothers – you know who the Mario Brothers were? Is it the video game or the – Yeah, the video game. It was like the yeah. first video game. When, yeah, yeah, when you, yeah. Before people had handheld devices, if you went to a restaurant or something, yeah, they yeah. had a machine and you could – Mom, can I have a quarter? Yeah, I yeah. want to play the. Yeah, don't let the Mario Brothers have more influence on your kids than you do. That was my very first Doxmo Pearl. Yep, and that, that, was, that, that was, is so, so apropos right now with the ever-present uh, reality that our kids are inundated with screens on all levels. So that one is powerful too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, those are my top ten. Paul, those are fantastic. And, and every parent listening to this right now should really write those down, almost like Brene Brown's rules to live by, and put those on the wall in the house for the kids so that when they have issues going on, you can point at those and go, listen, this is why I'm saying this, right? And there's a reality to why we do what we do. It's not made up in stupidity. It's made up because over thousands of years, this is what works the best. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and frankly, that's the benefit of what we're doing here in podcasting is trying to distill who knows what the best answers are and how can we bring that to the table for every parent who wants to, to, to learn to make better choices? Because frankly, we're always learning. I yeah. mean, I, I find that in, in the last 17 and a half years of parenting my son and 15 and a half of my daughter, I'm learning every day. And, and we make mistakes and we're humble enough to admit them. And then we move on from there, learning to be better parents if we can, and then transmit that advice to whoever else needs to hear it. I, you know, this, is, this is great stuff. Yeah. All right. Good. Let's right. go to the question that I really want to ask. And this is okay. something that I've been, you know, thinking about for a long, 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 long time in, in, in respects of where this stuff goes wrong at the government level. If you had the ability to change one policy, you only get one. I know there's 20 that you want to do, but give me the most profound policy you would change in our governmental system 
as it relates to human health, child's health, mother's health, whatever it is? Well, I know how, I think I know how you would answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to answer it in a different way. I, you know, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. So I lived, uh, I was a child in the 60s. And back, you know, the Great Society, they made a lot of changes. And they were trying to rectify. It was all well-intentioned. But they created a system where they pushed parents away from one another and created a huge number of single-parent households. Yeah. And by their policies. I mean, dad could not be in the household because he couldn't get support. And the more kids you had, the more support you got. So your parents, that one parent was being diluted. In, uh, their parenting was being diluted because there was only one parent and might have five kids or six kids yeah. or seven kids. Yeah. So I, I look back over my, you know, we're, we're now about 50% single parents in the United States. And I think that's, that's, Maybe call me old-fashioned or whatever, but there's a reason. You know, two parents generally are better than one parent. Yeah. You, you, you know, uh, your wife fills in when you lose it, and she fills in when you lose it. And, yep. you know, yep. you know how it's a team thing, and nobody can be on their game all the time. And you only have so much time that you can give to your children and or so much wisdom, and, and two people are going to be better than one. So I, I think the single parenting trend that's been going on for the last 40 years, which just keeps increasing, is very destructive to kids. Yeah. Uh, and I, if I, so you ask about governmental policy, that's the one policy that I think we need to change. We need to figure out a way to get families back together uh, uh, in a healthy way so that kids can grow up with a mom and a dad or, or two dads or two moms or whatever yeah. it does. It, the family can be defined however you want to define it. Right. That's not the issue. Right. The issue is the more people around that child that are loving them and helping them and guiding them and can resist all the, the stuff that society's throwing at them, help yeah. them be strong, right. then the better that child's going to end up. Yeah, and I totally agree. I think the the de-evolution of the family unit in the 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 two-parent household plus even the extended village household has changed tremendously. I mean, I grew up in a family uh, immigrants from Poland who who pretty much lived within two hours of each other, and we saw mm-hmm. each other in every holiday. And there was a lot of exposure to help and loving and kindness. And and now everybody for job purposes all over the country. And nothing wrong with the job issue so much as the lack of the exposure to the extended family, I think, is a secondary problem. But yeah, I, I think policies towards getting affordable housing in these big cities has got to be a major player in this game. Mm-hmm. So if you were, so you were to say, you know, you think you know what I would say, what would I say? I'm curious Be- to see if you got me. <laughs> Better nutrition, you know, the, the policies of nutrition for ch- young children, school yeah. lunches and, you know, that kind of stuff. 100%. That's exactly the yeah. first thing I would change is I would destroy subsidies for corn, soy, wheat, and rapeseed and uh-huh. put all those subsidies into fresh vegetables and fruits and, and push every school to have a chef. Uh, you know, I, I look at our hospital in Rowan County, um, you know, Novant Health Rowan, and they, when I first got there, the food was abysmal. It was heart attack waiting to happen. And they served this stuff to the heart attack patient just came uh-huh. out of the ICU, just had his surgery. And the first thing they feed him is garbage. Mm-hmm. I, my wife, a nutritionist who has tutel, you know, given me the education that I should have gotten in med school that I didn't get 
over the better part of the last 20 years. She's taught me everything I need to know. And I'm looking at the stuff going, this is insane. And then uh, one of the great CEOs came in and said, we need to change all the food. So they literally did. And they have health food now in the cafeteria. You can get four vegetables on the uh, hotline. So back to my book reviews. Have you read um, Bringing Up Bebe? No, I have not. It's a really good book. She, she mostly talks about it's – a, it's a Wall Street Journal journalist who moves to France – uh, for job purposes, yeah. and then is submerged in the French culture, and she notices that the the French babies sleep through the night when they're like three months old, and yeah. uh, you know the American, the the Western babies, you know people are struggling and yeah. you know, all this. Uh, so that's the main premise of the book, which yeah. is just sleep training. It's basic sleep training, which yeah. uh, I talk a lot about in my in my blog. But uh, uh, she also talks about what daycare is like and what uh, they have the, the French daycares have chefs yep. they eat really high quality food from very young age yeah. and uh, that opened my eyes to that whole situation that it doesn't have to be the way we do it well you know over the better part of the next however long I do this podcast with you and with other guests we're going to focus heavily on all of these topics because I think this is a word that needs to get out there parents need to understand that you know food sleep you know, uh, the yeah. extended family, all of the things you've talked about today are the, are the main goal that we should be focusing on when it comes to the health and wellness of mothers and children who grow up to be our society. You know, yeah. we're not willing to work hard and protect the mothers and the children. We don't have society. We have a, bu a bunch of mess. You know, I, I'm indignant with what happened during COVID with the amount of children who didn't get a single ounce of education over the last year of Charlotte alone, 15,000 kids is what I hear. That's mm -hmm. unbelievable. Like as mm -hmm. a society, how can we even sit back and say that is possible, let alone happens. So that's what I'm looking forward to talking to you and to others about over the next, uh, over the next, uh, whatever, however many years, months, days, or however this plays out. But, you know, I, I, Paul, you are a, Ah, I don't even know what the right words are. You know, you're a guiding light in this process for me. I know when I talked to you ooh, four months ago and asked you to teach me how to do a podcast and you were so gracious to say, hey, just take over mine, you know, and, and no, people just don't do that anymore. Right. And, and what you've done for me and for hopefully the folks that follow and listen is offer another platform for more voices to be heard. And for your voice, my voice, other voices to hear the great information that is coming out because the science is getting better and better. Yeah. And I, I want to thank you personally, you know, as this transition occurs for all of the wisdom you have shared with me, you are sharing with me and that you're going to share with me because you come loaded, loaded with data that I need to keep, you know, siphoning from you in order to pass it along and keep growing in my own way. So I, I, I want to thank you, and I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to me and to the people that listen to you and also have followed me over the years, because I am so excited to get started on this journey. Well, I think you're going to do a great job. I love your newsletter. You know, as I told you before, you write really well, you think really well, you communicate really well. I mean, way better than me. I'm, I'm more... I, I tried to create something that was sort of folksy and I was entertain tried to entertain a little bit. You get right to it and you, you know, full of data, full of information. So you're going to take the little fledgling thing that I started and you're hopefully going to get really big. You're going to be the next Peter Atia of pediatrics. And, uh, uh, 
who knows? You never know where this kind of stuff goes. Yeah, God it's willing, you know, for exciting. me, God willing, it's information that people need. That's what I care about. And I hope it becomes what people want it to become. Because, you know, again, I am who I am. And I pray I do a good job. And I'm going to keep working hard at this craft, you know, with your help and looking forward to whatever comes next. Um, I have, you know, a few guys slated up to be lectured soon, to be interviewed soon. I'm really excited. The first conversation I'm going to have is with uh, a gentleman by the name of Randy Jurgle. Uh, he is the godfather of epigenetics um, from your alma mater, um, at Duke. So we're going to get deep into why your environmental triggers affect the, 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 the way the child comes out. It's going to be exciting and I'm looking forward to more conversations and then diving back to the well with you on different topics. Cause I think this is going to be, you know, a medium to share and share commonly and, and share frequently. Well, you do a great job. If I must say of, of the 5,000 foot view of the world. I mean, drilling in low, a low, a low flyover, you know, where details really matter. Yeah. I'm more of a 30,000 foot view kind of person. Yeah. Friends, you know, uh, so I think it's, it's, a, we, we come at life with a little bit different perspective, but I think, you know, maybe we can sh share each other's and I've really enjoyed, I, I read your newsletter every week. I read a lot of podcasts. I, you know, I was keeping up with all the other podcasts, pediatric podcasts around the country and, uh, cause you gotta see what they're doing. And uh, I think mine was as, as good. I must say, I'll pat myself on the back, but yours is it, if it, in a podcast form, yours will be the best. I think you will, you will have the best pediatric podcast out there, hands down. Well, I appreciate the confidence. And again, I'm God willing, just going to do my best at this. And I'm looking forward to being a part of your work for the future and our collaboration together. And I, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for what you're offering me as we, as we move forward together. Great. Well, thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk. My friend, have a beautiful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this first version of the Women and Children First podcast. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Paul Smolin, and I appreciate your time in listening and learning. Now for a little housekeeping. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and review or rate this podcast. And secondarily, next week's podcast will be with Dr. Danny Benjamin, where we'll be discussing all things coronavirus related to children, including the vaccines, how to keep kids in school full time, whether or not we need to wear masks and other topics of interest related to children. After Dr. Benjamin's podcast is completed, I will begin a tour through a series of interviews with experts around the country on all things related to maternal health, the baby's health, and therefore our future health as children. It will encompass uh, all forms of scientific discovery, including epigenetics, chemical exposure, and risks that follow, as well as nutrition, immune health, uh, stress health, and the story will go on and on, trying to lay the framework for how we can have the healthiest potential outcomes of pregnancy, and therefore children, and therefore the children's full life. So I hope to see you again in the coming weeks as we tackle these topics and try and learn together as what is the best outcome uh, predictors or how can we maintain the best health choices to have the best outcomes moving forward. 
Finally, remember that this podcast is for informational and educational purpose only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Hug your kids. I'm Dr. M signing off.